Our reading from this morning is from Daniel chapter 1. Please stand for the reading of God's word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four ewes, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is God's word. Well, those of you who don't know me will be able to tell that I was born in Texas. <laughs> I actually grew up in England and uh, you know, was born there, went to university there. I want to tell you a story from some of my first days at university, at college, uh, when I was presented with a challenge. I like to play rugby. I was a little more butch at the time, you know. And I wanted to play rugby at university. And the, the captain of the team came up to me and 
invited me to get involved, which was a big deal. He, he heard I was okay, and he wanted me on the team, you see. And so I was excited by that. And then he explained to me uh, what uh, the conditions were, what, what uh, I think over here you would call uh, was the hazing ritual. Uh, they had something called the 21s, and to play for the team, you had to be part of the 21s, uh, not because of an age, but because uh, the 21 club, so-called, because you had to drink 21 pints of beer in one evening. See, So, uh, now, you, you have to understand that, you know, being English, I was practically weaned on beer. And so, you know, I had no objection to a tipple or two. But uh, even as a macho rugby player, 21 pints would put me way over the edge of what was legitimate for a Christian. So I said, I can't do that. And this man who, you know, was the, the, the captain, the, 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 the red-headed sort of uh, fly half, which is the equivalent of the, what's the, guy, the name of the guy in football who throws the ball? What's his name? Quarterback, you know. So he was a big deal on this team, you see. He, he looked a little annoyed at sort of being crossed by, uh, uh, by my refusal. And so he said, why not? I replied, because I'm a Christian. I still remember the look on the face of this flaming red-headed fly half captain at that moment. You know when you look in someone's eyes and you can see a thought sort of, as it were, crossing their mind. He sort of paused and then blinked and then looked at me with what at the time I fancied was sudden respect and said simply, okay. And that was it. I was allowed in. I didn't have to go through the hazing ritual. And a line had been drawn in the sand. Now, Daniel did something like that here. See, Daniel was taken out of Israel, far from home, to the very pagan capital, Babylon. And he was taken there, wasn't he, we're told, as one of a sort of elite group of very good-looking and talented young men, personally selected for this uh, uh, education. And he was put through a schooling of uh, three years, or four in the case of Wheaton. And after this uh, experience of education right there in the Babylonian University in the capital of the pagan empire... After which, if he did well, if he graduated with a good enough degree, then he and the others would enter the king's service. That is some sort of official role of advice and counsel to the, to the king, a, a sort of diplomatic corps or administrative high official of some sort. And you see, this story then is not really about food or drink or vegetables or meat. It's about saying this far and no further, this far, and no further. You know, Daniel was given a new name, wasn't he? he? He was given that new name to try and sort of indicate his adoption into the identity of a pagan now. He, he was to be trained in all the arts of, of Babylon. 
And Daniel was no narrow-minded separationist. He, he, he worked for pagan kings uh, all the way up to King uh, Cyrus uh, when uh, the Israelites uh, returned from exile. He worked for the conquerors of Israel. He was no narrow-minded separationist. He learned from them. He studied with them. He contextualized his faith, as we would say. He contextualized his Christian lifestyle in that context of Babylon. But at one point or another, there comes the challenge. Will you give in completely to the identity of a Babylonian? Or will you take a stand? Somewhere, at some point, you have to say, This is who I am. I am a Christian. I'm going to live like that. That's what Daniel did. And that's what I want us all to learn how to do this morning. Now, I'm well aware that it can be a difficult challenge. Of course it can. I'm, I'm a father, a family man, and our children went back to school uh, this, just this week. And, of course, on the evening before uh, they went back to school, there were some nerves, natural enough. And so I was asked to sort of tell them a story there in, in their bedroom. And, and, you know, I think, okay, I've got to come up with some story now. And so into my mind uh, popped the idea of this story of a girl called Anne going back to a school called St. Smithereens. It's the best name for a school I could come up with at the spur of the moment. And I told it like this. Anne was nervous. But then she remembered a secret. And that secret gave her the power to say the most powerful word in the world. You know what that word is, I asked them. We don't know. That word is no. No, I will not compromise. I am a Christian. And you know what the secret was that she remembered, I asked them? We, we don't. But God has made his home in your heart so that wherever you go, you are never far from home. Jesus says, if you, anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And therefore... You can say no, therefore you can stand tall. You can draw a line in the sand. Rochelle, uh, my wife, uh, and I have a little motto that we have discovered over the years has never let us down as we've sometimes made hard and even costly decisions. I don't spend all my life wearing a nice black suit behind a sort of perfect pulpit, you know. Sometimes there have been tough moments and we've had to make tough decisions. And that motto is this, that we've kind of discerned over the years that has guided us and never let us down. It is trust God and do what is right. Daniel did. Will you? Well, here are three ways uh, to do it that Daniel models for us and that we can follow, I think. First way is this, how to trust God and do what is right. First way, replace apathy with passion. Replace apathy 
with passion. What is apathy? Apathy is the negation of passion. Apathy is not just the opposite of passion. It's the negation of passion. And passion, it's not just the opposite of apathy. It's the solution to apathy. They're not just like oil and water that do not mix. They are like anti-matter and matter that when they collide, one has to leave the room. What is apathy? Apathy is sitting in chapel or listening to something or other religious and texting your friends because you think, oh, I've heard it all before. What is it? Apathy deep down is really a form of spiritual pride, isn't it? You're bored often because you're proud. I've heard this all before. It's thinking, I don't need to learn anything else. I don't need to be fed anymore. I'm already big enough and strong enough. You see, this, more than any obvious gross sin, that is the danger of places like Wheaton, where, if we're honest, you're as likely to meet a best-selling Christian author as you are a drug-selling addict. And where the sins are sometimes hidden behind pious platitudes. And where niceness can conceal apathy. And where the pressure to not just sound like another same old, same old evangelical can make you come up with ideas and novelty that no longer are really, truly, if we're honest, orthodox. And what's the solution to all this? The solution to all this is what Daniel did. He resolved in his heart. It's this resolution that Daniel discovered in verse 8. He resolved right deep down in his heart. Internally, he made a decision. He found a passion to stand out from the crowd, to lead his fellow Israelites, his compatriots, and draw a line in the sand. And it all started with this internal resolution in his heart. And what is that? It's a work of Christ by his Spirit in the innermost places of your heart. I sometimes wonder whether regeneration is the least preached doctrine in the United States. It's not just about checking off the boxes of what you believe. It's the work of Christ by his Spirit in the innermost places of your heart. You can have no godliness externally, not, not in a long-lasting fashion. You may be able to occasionally keep the rules, but no, no real godliness externally, no real passion for Christ externally until you have him, God himself, internally. And then it goes on with, Sanctification with growing as a Christian. You, you can have no greatness externally until you've resolved greatness internally. You cannot be a great Christian leader while you're still a poor Christian liver. And you think you can, then at some point your lack of internal resolution will catch up with you, I'm afraid. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. I'm, I'm trying to, I want you in, in, the, in the small things, in the hidden recesses of the motivation, in the thinking of your minds, in your heart. There has to be a decision. I want you to take this decision to 
trust God and do the right thing. It's a passionate commitment to the God of the Bible. Now, Daniel was contextualized. Daniel was a part of the culture. Daniel learned the lessons of Babylon. But this far, he said, and no further. Because of his commitment to Christ, there was a moment when there would be an external conflict, a test, a challenge, and he took a stand because he had already resolved in his heart that he was an Israelite, that he would trust God and do the right thing. This far, no further. He employed the most powerful word ever. No, when connected with this statement, no, I am a Christian. I cannot do that. Well, will you replace apathy with passion? Now, don't kid yourself, it's not necessary in Christian circles or Christian culture. Daniel and his friends are recorded here, but how many others were, were taken out by the Babylonians and just apathetically caved in to the prevailing cultural paganism? I, I remember as a church planter how there was a moment when I knew I had to take a stand. Not everyone would have understood it as a clear moral matter, but I could see that it was an open door to compromise in a wrong direction, and that door had to be shut. And I took the stand, and it was hard. A great blessing was the result. And it all starts here in, in the heart. So will you be like Jonathan Edwards and write out a fresh resolution, resolved to replace apathy about Christian things with passion for God himself, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. Well, the second way then to take the stand here is not just internal but external. Resolutions are useless by themselves or just a pretense unless they become actions. And Daniel does not only resolve in his heart, he says something and he does something, doesn't he? And so it's second, not just because he replaced apathy with passion internally, but also because he identified with God's people. Now, you can see here that Daniel's not alone, is he? The, uh, the book is written by him. It's named after him. Those who've doubted the authenticity of the book because of technical language issues, there are some Greek words in it that some have thought were from a later date but then have been discovered as early as the 6th century B.C. But nonetheless, even besides those technical issues, you have to wrestle with the question, if it was not Daniel, then you'd have to invent someone pretty much like him. It's, written, it's, it's about Daniel, but Daniel was not alone. He was deliberately associating himself with God's people, with the other Israelites. It seems to me this may be the hidden principle behind this apparently random place where he drew the line. Whatever else it was, it was a public association with God's people. Daniel and his friends were from here on, marked as still belonging to Israel. They were in Babylon. They were learning from the Babylonian university. Oh, yes, even called by Babylonian names at times. But they were Israelites. 
Now, you know, there are some stories I could tell you about churches that you should not join. But if Daniel still associates himself with God's people after they've been thrown into exile for their sins, should you not associate yourself with a good local church even though not everything is perfect in the global church? Now, you may have come across churches or even church leaders where all is not right, though I doubt many will have stories to match uh, mine and those of pastors of going in to try to help churches reform themselves more into line with God's Word. Nonetheless, if you are a Christian, you will associate yourself with God's people. And this is so often the antidote to apathy. You get out of the closeted cloying atmosphere where everyone is about the same age and has about the same IQ to a church where there's anything from 9 to 90 and anything in between. See, you need to be shepherded by a pastor and not just hear MP3s of a lecture that someone has given 3,000 times before so it sounds perfectly smooth. Saying you love Jesus but cannot stand the church. It's like saying you love your best friend, but you cannot stand his wife. Now, I know the church needs to be reformed, trust me. It, that is, it needs the word preached, put back into its heart. It, that is, so that we don't just have feel-good messages creating sloppy, anything-goes, sleazy Christians, but prophetic Spirit-empowered exposition of the Bible, so we're constantly brought back to grace, to Christ, and to trusting God and doing the right thing. I know that, but, but I tell you this. I have done ministry in university towns from Cambridge in England to Yale in New Haven to Tbilisi in Georgia, Baku in Azerbaijan, and Wheaton outside Chicago. And I can tell you that there is almost a one-to-one correlation between those who follow Christ after college with those who join a church during college. You have to learn what it means to worship with people who are not the same as you. Tattoos. Suits. You know, the whole, the whole thing. Being a member of a church, what is it? It is a sign that you are a member of the church. And if you're not a member of a church... I mean that in a sort of biblical church sense. If you're not a member of a church, I just don't know whether you are a member of the church. I don't know. Daniel associated himself with God's people, even God's less than perfect people. Because of internal resolution, the work of Christ by His Spirit and His heart became an external association, but then also third and finally, not only internal heart, external in church, 
Also, Daniel, as it were, kind of steps off the pages and offers to us the same that he said to the official. In a sense, he's saying to us, I think this morning, take the test. Take the test. Daniel, as it were, is saying this, isn't he? This is from verse 12 and on. He's saying, uh, let's try this. Uh, Let's try this. Let's put this to the test. Let's see whether I'm right and it works out. And then after that, make your decision based upon what you see. And so they took the test. And the end, uh, they are doing much better than anyone else. I love this. It says they're fatter. They put on their freshman 15. (laughs) And at the end of uh, three years, they were cleverer, wiser, stronger, more proficient than those who had not identified uh, with God's people and who had lived lives of apathy instead of passion. Now, you may say it does not always work out like that, and perhaps it does not, at least not straight away, but it always does in the long term. He who honors me, I will honor, God says. This is the one I esteem, he who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's who he esteems. That's who God esteems. He who honors him, who is contrite in spirit, trembles at his word. I remember when I was at Cambridge as an undergraduate, I was presented with the opportunity of becoming the president of the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union. And those who I sought to advise me encouraged me to take it up, but they gave me a warning too. It was possible, they said, that if I did take this up, I might drop a point in my final exams. Running a thousand-member organization at 20 when you're studying at the best university in the world, except Wheaton, of course, <laughs> uh, you know, is stressful. And we all know about stress these days. At the end, I did well, though not quite as well as my supervisors had told me was expected of me. And I was disappointed, you know. And I went off to the mission field for a little while. And then a few years later, I was doing a PhD at Cambridge, and that seemed to set things all right. God has a way of fulfilling His promise. That, how does Jesus put it? If you seek first His kingdom, all these other things will be added to you as well. I remember uh, being uh, convicted that I had to confront a senior Christian leader about an issue of morality, and I was scared. I knew I had to do it, and I did so knowing that he might blackball me, say bad things about me behind my back uh, as a result, which he did, and yet the result has been great blessing. Trust God and do the right thing. Now, you enthusiastic young people or enthusiastic old people, Daniel is wise. He's trusting God, not putting God to the test. He doesn't just take an axe and swing it. No, he's given favor by God. 
with this official. And then he speaks to the one with whom he has favor and he chooses his words with care. So he's not imprudent or rude. He's not sort of separationist or narrow-minded, but he fulfills the requirements of the school. He doesn't say, hey, you guys can get lost. No, he, he takes part fully. How does Jesus describe it? He is innocent as a dove and cunning as a snake. And how does Daniel maintain that innocency? By taking the test. How about you? Say, uh, this year, you come to church every Sunday. You think, well, then I'll have less time for other things. Yeah? Take the test. I wager with you, I I wager with you, (laughs) that by the end of the year, you will be doing better than those who are sporadic with their attendance. It's been interesting studying this passage for me this week. We've been talking about it, Rochelle and I, and a lot of it seems, seems we've lived our lives this way sort of unknowingly. One of the major ways Rochelle and I put this principle into practice was deciding to say no to a prime job offer, which would have required compromise on a biblical principle. And at the time, we had no job, no obvious means of provision, and we took a step, which to us seemed incredibly massive and major. But to Daniel, in the heart of the Babylonian pagan empire, would have seemed relatively minor, I think. Trusted God and did the right thing. Sometimes I look back on that decision. I wonder what would have happened if I had taken that, that job. What doors would have been opened for me? I know what has happened because I did not. Take the test. Utter the most powerful word invented when it's connected to the following statement, No. I cannot do that because I'm a Christian. See what happens when you do? How do you find the strength to take that stand, to draw that line in the sand? Or you remember that God has made His home in your heart, even in Babylon. Those of us who like movies and uh, that kind of thing may... uh, think it's a bit like Harry on his first day of school. Malfoy comes up to him, doesn't he, and says, I can show you the right sort of person. And Harry says, oh, actually, I can tell the right sort all by myself, thank you. You have to draw the line in the sand somewhere. If you don't, you just completely identify with the Babylonian culture. If you don't, you just slide all the way down to the sea. Take the test. Identify with the church. Replace apathy with passion, with this internal resolution, the work of Christ by His Spirit in your heart. 
cry out for that. And here's the thing. If you are not fitter, healthier, cleverer, wiser in all the spiritual categories in which we've been discussing, than all the other magicians at Hogwarts, I, for one, will be very much surprised. Let's pray together. Our Father, uh, tests can come in all different shapes and uh, sizes. For those of us who are more senior in years this morning, perhaps our test is trusting you with our pension and still giving. Father, for those of us with young children, perhaps our test is finding a way not to constantly be anxious about them and to trust you with their lives as we try to do our best with them. Father, for some of us, it's taking our Bibles, finding a quiet place outside, opening to Daniel chapter 1, and with all the questions and intellectual debate running through our minds, saying to you, I trust you. And I trust your word. Father, for some of us, it's a relationship. Perhaps it's already gone a little bit too far. Would you help us to draw a line, whatever the test is, and say, this far and no further? To say, no, I, I am a Christian. I'm passionate for, for you, God, and for your word. Father, by your spirit, would you give us that internal resolution? For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.